God's peace. Our first hymn this morning is Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, also known as Nicaea. And this hymn was composed in 1860. Holy, Holy, Holy. Let us begin our service in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our scripture reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll read verses 18 to 22. And we read in Jesus' name. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to death, bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit by which also he went and preached in the spirits imprisoned. 
which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience to, toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Amen. Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Almighty God, we come before you this morning once again thankful for the time that you give us to gather in fellowship around your word. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would enlighten our ears, or enlighten our eyes, give us ears to see and hearts to receive your word. We pray for those who aren't able to be with us here this morning, those who may be confined to their homes or to hospitals or to nursing homes. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you, would, that you would bless them with your word today and every day. We pray for all those who are ailing, facing hard situations. We remember Jamie Aho, Andy Thunberg, Al Hapasari, Lois Weary, Deb Mersu, Don and Bev Hagel, Linda Robin, Steve Salo, Evan Candle, Barb Lund, Janet Blickenstaff, Deb Thunberg, Dean Walther, Ron Wallace, Ames and Jacqueline Bruin, Eugene Koskala, Don and Vi Salo, and Tammy Mersu that you would bring healing and help to these people in these situations. We pray for our nation. We ask your blessing upon it. We pray for our leaders. We ask that you would give them wisdom and guidance. We pray for those suffering around the world as a result of warfare and strife and violence. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring an end to those things, that you would be with those in Israel and in Russia and Ukraine, that you would bring an end to the warfare. We pray with the hymn writer, God bless our foes and cause all eyes to see that peace, O Christ, can only come from thee. Lord, we pray for those who preach your word. We ask your provision for it. We pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, that repentance and the forgiveness of his, sins in his name would be proclaimed, and that sinners would be brought to repentance. We pray that you would confirm the faith that you have planted in our hearts and convert those who do not believe. We pray, Lord, for our church. We pray for our leaders and our families, our husbands and wives, our children, our marriages. We pray for those who are single among us. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us with your spirit and that you would work through us to serve our community and to help those who are in need. We pray for those around us and in this world who are suffering, those who are abused, those who have mental illness, those who are sick. We know that your gospel is a cure for all of those things. And we pray, Lord, that you would equip us to proclaim it. In Jesus' name we pray, thanking you for the salvation that we have through his atoning blood. Amen. Now hear us, Lord, as together we pray that most perfect prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hymn 399, I lay my sins on Jesus. 
of grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is found in the gospel according to Mark. We'll read from chapter 1. We'll read verses 9 to 15. And we read in Jesus' name. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Wednesday marked the beginning of Lent. Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. Lent is a time set aside by the church of repentance and introspection in preparation for And Lent is usually marked with this account of Christ's temptation in the wilderness. Mark's is an abbreviated version. We see it begin with Jesus being baptized by John. Now what we have to remember about this is John baptized. He had a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, by undergoing that baptism, declared himself to be a friend of sinners. Even more so, he identified himself as one who had committed sins. What, what does that mean? Well, if you were just an observer on that day when John was baptizing people, you would have seen all of these sinners come. All of these sinners go down into the water, confessing their sins to confessing their, their, their sinfulness and their need for forgiveness. And if you were asked, what about all those people that went in there? Well, they were sinners. And Jesus was one of them. He had nothing to repent of. He had no sin. He admitted himself to this. And it's interesting when you read other accounts of this work because um, John doesn't want to do it. And Jesus says, Let it be, or suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us, and I'm paraphrasing this, um, for thus is it is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus identifies himself as one who needs to repent, as one who needs forgiveness, and he submits himself to this. And then the heavens open. And this one baptism is different than every other because then the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And God speaks from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then that same spirit that descended upon him like a dove casts him into the wilderness. That's, that's the, the verbiage there, that he's thrown into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted of Satan. And the devil lays three temptations on him that are not here recorded for us, but are in other accounts. And they're all kind of interesting. The first is Jesus had fasted 40 days. And he says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, the first thing we note about this is God has just declared that Jesus is his son. And Satan is already throwing that into question or trying to. But Jesus overcomes him by saying, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh out of the mouth of God. The devil then takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, the highest place in Jerusalem, the temple square being filled with people, and tells him to throw himself off of it and let the angels catch him. Perhaps thinking, well, this would be an easier way. Everyone would receive everything you say if they saw the angels catch you. And then he takes him to a high mountain, one where he could see vast amounts of kingdoms, and says, I will give these all if you will but bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, it's written that you should only serve God. To the second temptation, he says, don't put God to the test. The first one, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now these temptations... 
They don't have any hold on Jesus. He's tempted. He's put to the test, but he overcomes Satan. And then he is ministered to by the angels. Then we're told that John was imprisoned and Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, it's an interesting thing for Christians, I think, to be real about temptation. Uh, interesting is a, a bad word. It's, a, it's, it's worth spending some time on for us today. Because we, I think we, especially as modern-day Christians, have kind of a, um, a jaded view on it, you could say. You know, we're, 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 temptation is all around us. It's a part of our life. And very often, we, we kind of feel like we, we have this, um, at least for me, we have this, uh, this notion, um, because we fail, we fall to it so much, that we have this notion that, um, that we're somehow unique in this world as being tempted. But from the first record in the scriptures of Satan coming onto the scene, that is what he has done, is put people to the test, is tempted people. And he does this brutal work he makes sin look so alluring. He makes it look so good. Like it's exactly what we want to do. And then when we do it, he hammers us with guilt. Tells us that now we'll never have forgiveness. Now we'll never be okay. Now it's done. But God has a different way for us, doesn't he? And I want to talk a little bit about or maybe not a little bit, maybe that's what we're going to talk about mostly today, is um, this different way. The way that resists temptation. Did you know that when Martin Luther would be tempted, um, that now the accounts differ a little bit. Um, some say it was written in chalk on his desk. The words, baptizatus sum in Latin, which means I am baptized. Other people say, other times, in, it's just quoted that he would just say those words. Some say he would look in the mirror and shout those words. Baptizatus sum. They sound cool in that, don't they? I am baptized. What did he mean by that, do you suppose? We tend to look at baptism as a, um, uh, an event that happened to us in the past. And we would be wrong to speak about it in those terms. We would be wrong to think of it only as a past, past event. We would be wrong to think about it as something that we did or that happened to us. It is correct to speak of it in terms of the present. It's like with marriage. You know, um, if someone asks me if I have a, a wife and I say, yeah, I was married, how do you think that answer goes? Do you, think that you, do you think you get very far with that kind of uh, determination? Yeah, I was married. No, because what is marriage? 
Yes, it's a past event, but it also indicates our current relationship, right? It also indicates our current status, if you will. And baptism is no different. In our scripture reading, you, you heard Peter, right? It's kind of crazy. In talking about the ark, in talking about how God used the ark to save the people, he says that baptism as a like figure or as corresponding to the ark saving all of those people, he said it now saves us, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an answer to God for a good conscience. Now that's wild. There could be salvation in baptism. Luther says that it's not water that does these great things, but it's the word of God that is connected, or that is, it's the word of God that is there present. That if we were, if baptism was just pouring water on our forehead, or just dunking someone in water, then it would be meaningless. All it would be good for is removing dirt from the body. But with the word of God, he says it's a washing of regeneration. And so this, that would be no different than someone coming to faith when they hear the preaching of God's word. Because where God's word is, there is life and salvation. So temptation comes to us, and Luther defeated that by saying, I am baptized. What do you suppose that meant to him? What does it mean to us to be baptized into Christ? It's a very confusing topic. If you, if you listen to Christian radio, or if you um, listen to other denominations, ser sermons and stuff on this topic, um, you'll find an answer that is quite different than the one I'm going to give you. So what we hear today that is prevalent in our day, but in the grand scheme of history is a very minority opinion, is that baptism is an outward sign of an inward washing. That basically, um, it's there to show Christians that what um, they see happening on the outside is also going on on the inside. I heard one guy say, it's like, um, it's like a flag that you raise to support your country or your team. And they look at baptism as something that we do for God. And when we look at the scriptures, for they are the most important thing we can look at. Luther's good. Those who have ministered to in the past are good. Those, I'm not devaluing those things. But the scriptures are supreme. And so when we look to see what the apostles say about baptism, I'll, I'll, I'll quote a couple of things for you. And I want you to ask yourself, does this sound like something that we do for God or something that God does for us? First, we'll go to Romans 6. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's interesting, right? Is that something that we do for God or something that God does for us? 
And now we'll turn to Colossians, chapter 2. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who raised him from the dead. Is that something that, does that sound like something that is just an, merely a sign, or does it sound like it's something that does something? Is that something that we do for God, or something that God does for us? And now we'll turn to Galatians. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Is that something that we do for God or something that God does for us? You see, for Luther, baptism was a blessing. It was something that God did for him. And I think the scriptures support that view. So much of our, our, our um, Christianity, so much of what our flesh wants to do with it, it's this real subtle shift, this working of the devil, when he takes the things of God and he makes us want to turn them into something that we do. So our faith becomes about us and what we have done when it ought to be about Christ and what he has done. And you notice when you're tempted by the devil, it's pretty easy for him to rip to shreds everything that you have done. He can get to you if you're standing on what you have done very easily. You might try to hold up your best work, the best thing that you have done, and he can quite easily rip that to shreds. He doesn't need much help because we do it too, right? You think of the, the best work you have done. What is something you are so proud of? And ask yourself, examine your station in life in light of God's word, in light of his commandments. How does it measure up? When the mirror of God's law shines upon us, don't have any other gods. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And thou shalt not covet. We can see our underlying sin and even the best things that we have done. So standing on our works doesn't work. In fact, there is no salvation in anything that we do. Salvation is wrought for us in what Christ has done. Paul says this quite clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourself is a gift from God, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. 
We're not saved by what we have done. We're saved by what Christ has done. Even when we resist the temptation of the devil, even when we're engaged in that warfare, those acts are tainted with sin. You know, when, when George Wilson used to say we're sin from the top of our, our head to the bottom of our feet, he meant we are 100% sinful. So everything that we do is tainted with sin. But how is it for God? Is he sinful? Well, Jesus identified himself as a sinner, right? But he was not one. In his baptism, Jesus takes our place. And in our baptism, we take his. We're clothed with him. We're buried with him. We're joined to him. In the ancient church, or in the ancient world, um, the word baptism in Greek literally means to like ceremonially wash or to be immersed. And when you, when you read, you can actually find those words in extra biblical accounts and you find them in like instructions for um, pickling vegetables and for dyeing fabric. You know, you, you pickle vegetables by soaking them in brine. You dye fabric by dipping it in dye. And when the cloth would take on the color of the dye, that was baptism. When the cucumber would take on the brine, that was baptism. And in the same way, in our faith, baptism connects us. It joins us to Christ. Not our work, but his. And when we are joined to Christ, and we face the temptation of the devil, how do you think that goes for us? Or how should it go? Was Christ defeated? No. We are defeated by temptation time after time after time. But now you see why having those words, baptizatu sum, written on his desk, or speaking those into the mirror would help Luther in times of temptation, right? To be emboldened to remember what Christ has done for you. And not only as some abstract event in the past that he died for your sins. And I'm not diminishing that at all. That is wonderful to remember that Christ died for our sins. But we get used to those things that were done for us. In the, when we think of them as more abstract concepts. But to understand that because of the powerful working of God, that we are connected and joined to that event. That not only that, but we're connected and joined to Christ himself, the one who stood before the devil and was victorious. So much of our life and our dealing with temptation is that we fall. But all of Christ's life was standing. And he gifts that to us. So that when we find ourselves lonely and ripe for the picking, that we're not alone. That Christ is with us. And we can remind ourselves in our darkest moments that we are baptized. That we have been joined to Jesus Christ. That it was not our work but his. And the promises that God attached to that, well, they belong to us. There's a the hymn, it's not in our hymnal, but it's, um, it's called God's Own Child, I Gladly Say It. And one of the verses goes like this. Satan, hear this proclamation. I am baptized into Christ. Drop your ugly accusation. I am not so soon enticed. Now that to the font I've traveled, all your might has come unraveled. And against your tyranny, God, my Lord, unites with me. 
You see, baptized into Christ, we live with him. His name is written on our forehead, and he goes with us wherever we go. And he stands with us against the devil and his temptation. And he's there to minister to us. In our life, Satan tempts us the same way he did Jesus. He puts enticing bread before our eyes, forbidden bread that we know we ought not to eat, forbidden things that we know we ought not to do. And we eat it and we do it. He sets before us the temptations of reputation, of people's opinions, of power, of fame. And we fall time and time again. But our Lord Jesus, he stood tall, he did not. And we can be blessed or not can be blessed. We are blessed to claim him as our brother, even in the midst of dark despair, even in the midst of terrible temptation. Baptizatus sum, I am baptized into Christ. May that be our battle cry when we do battle with the devil. Nothing we do will stand, but everything he does will. And he gives that to us in holy baptism. Now some of us might say, well, are you saying then that because we're baptized, we can then just do whatever we want? No. I'm saying baptism is a gift that God gives us. It's a means of grace. It's a way that God delivers his grace to us. It hinges completely and only on the preaching of his word. Apart from it, it means nothing. And just as we can misuse the gospel, well, baptism is the gospel. It is a promise of Jesus. We could misuse that too, but I'm not advocating for that. The gospel is not an excuse for us to sin. It is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is not a, um, I can sin because there's grace. What it is is a balm. It's a medicine. When we've fallen, the gospel is what gives us the grace to stand again, what picks us back up. This Lenten season, as we meditate on our sinful state, as we repent in preparation for Easter, let us do so but let us also meditate on the things that Christ has done for us and the gifts that he has given us. And when we're tempted, God give us the grace to see through it and perhaps be emboldened by that testimony of Dr. Luther and shout, I am baptized. And recognize that this, doesn't, this wasn't a one and done thing that only affected you back then, but has a present and active effect on your life today. Think about it. The blessing that your parents gave you when they brought you to baptism. It had nothing to do with you. So much of the things of God are tainted with what we do, right? 
but baptism was not. It had nothing to do with you. Maybe you were baptized as an adult, but I know most of us here were baptized as children. You don't even remember it. And that is a blessing. That is a gift. That, what did Jesus say? You have to become like a child or you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so your parents brought you to baptism in obedience to God's command and trusting in his promises. When you were a helpless baby, it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. It wasn't about you pouring out your promises to him like a New Year's resolution, but it was about him pouring out his promises on you. Now, it's apprehended by faith. Just like struggling with temptation or struggling with sin and you heard the preacher proclaim those beautiful wishes that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, that you can believe and trust that. God works also through baptizing you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so we can stand firm against the devil, emboldened by the promises of God, and know that because we are baptized, we never stand alone. And so be at peace, dear Christian, even in the midst of the trials and temptations of this life. Because God has joined you to his son, the one who was perfect, who stands alone, who stood alone against Satan and did not fall. God has joined you to him. God has joined you to Christ. It had nothing to do with you. It wasn't about your work, it was about his. Let that sink in. This is God's work for you. And be at peace because your sins are forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, you who were baptized, you who, who baptized us into your Son, Help us to understand. Let those words that you spoke over the Jordan River that day ring true for us, that we are your beloved children in whom you are well pleased, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. Give us the grace to submit to your will in all things that your peace would be with us. And help us, help us when we're tempted, help us when we sin, help us when we fall, to believe and find comfort in you and your son and what you have done. Don't allow us to use your good news, your gospel, as an excuse to sin, but lavish it upon us when we're broken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Hymn 491, Triumph Ye Heavens. Amen. 
everybody in God's peace and thank you for coming and sharing this hour with us. Our announcements for today are Wednesday night service, there'll be a chili supper at 5.30, service at 6.30, and men's group two serves coffee. And then next Sunday worship service at 10.30 and Sunday school at 9.15. And there is coffee in the fellowship hall for everyone after the service. Thank you. Hymn 374, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone?
everlasting spear shone more than friend your life to me all along my pilgrim journey Savior let me walk in thee close to thee close to thee close to thee close to Yeah. Mm-hmm.